We're going to look at a couple of places in Proverbs, um, chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 9. And we're going to wrap up with looking at some of the practical matters uh, that flow out of the fear of the Lord and, and, the, and how the fear of the Lord kind of actually sums up the whole of our emotional relationship to God. So let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for your word, and I ask that you would guide us in our understanding of it, that we would have the fear of you in our hearts, that we would tremble before your word, that you would, by your spirit, guide us into wisdom, by the knowledge of you, through the fear of the Lord, and help us to be transformed day by day more into the image of your Son as we develop more and more a deep, intimate, emotional relationship with you. I thank you, Father, and I ask these things through Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you, together with the Holy Spirit, one God, forever praised. Amen. Okie dokie. So, Proverbs chapter 1. Everybody probably knows this verse, verse 7. The fear of Yahweh, the fear of the Lord, is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Then look over with me in chapter 2. I want to read verses 1 through 8. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as if for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of Yahweh and find the knowledge of God. Four, Yahweh gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. And then over in Proverbs 9, verse 10, it's parallel to verse, chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom. So the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise instruction, understanding. But the fear of the Lord is also the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So I want to talk about three things. I want to talk about the primacy of emotional experience. I want to talk about the nature of wisdom and knowledge, and I want to talk about the cultivation of the fear of the Lord. So first, like the primacy of emotional experience. We have, we are designed with these three capacities. The, our inner being, when the Bible talks about your heart, 
in the Old Testament especially, it, there, there are three things that your heart does. Your heart thinks. In the Old Testament, you think with your heart. Like when we talk about heart, what do we mean? We just mean the emotional part of us, right? We say, you know, well, follow your heart. That doesn't mean follow your thinking. When, we, when Disney tells you that, they're telling you to follow your emotions, you know. The, um, so, but in the Hebrew way of thinking, in the Old Testament, the heart think, you think with your heart, you feel with your heart, and then there's another word for feeling where you actually sort of feel with your guts. You feel emotions way down deep. And you choose with your heart. So you've got a thinking capacity as a human being, you've got a feeling capacity as a human being, and you've got a choosing or acting capacity. You can think, you can feel, you can act. And that constitutes your internal being. Now, if I were to say to you, which one of those capacities is the most important? Now, I mean, we've been talking about emotions for like three months now, so you know where I'm going probably. Uh, but which one would you think is the primary capacity? What, what, is, what is your capacity? Emotions, the choices that you make, the emotions that you have, the emotional reactions that you have, or the thinking about things. What's, what's, what, there's a certain relationship between these three things. And what do we typically, as like nice, good Presbyterian Christians, what do we think is the most important one? You can have this one for most Presbyterians. You can have, the, you can have one and just like jettison the other two, really. Well, you need to obey. We, we like actions, but what's the one? What's the big one we... You're thinking. And we're not, good, we're not wrong to put it in a very important place. But what is, what is the beginning of knowledge? What, what do you have to have before you can have knowledge in your head? What do you have to have? The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge. So you need an emotional reaction, an emotional connection, and an emotional motivation from God. You need a right emotional relationship to Him before you can even begin to use your brain rightly. And using your brain, thinking, has a goal. Why do, you think about, why do you think about God? Why do, we, why do you dedicate your mind to thinking about who God is and what He's done? Do, do you do it just because, you know, I, I want to be really smart or I want to know a lot of stuff? Or What are you driving at? You're driving towards an intimacy with Him, a deep emotional connection with Him a quaking before him. And he says, that's my goal. I want to be so near you that I captivate your heart, that I captivate your emotions, that you're living in this constant emotional reaction to my presence. 
that you're living in reaction to me. That's what it means to fear the Lord and to have it as the beginning of knowledge. So the, what, what, happens, what happens if we seek wisdom and knowledge without the fear of the Lord, without this deep, intimate, emotional connection to the Lord? What, what are some things that we could do? How can, how can pursuing knowledge without the fear of the Lord go wrong? Any thoughts? It's not the way God designed it to be, therefore it's not the right way. <laughs> yeah, it's not the way God designed it to be, so it's not the right way. Yeah, so we, you're, you're starting in the wrong place. And that's, uh, I like to describe it like this. The, the fact that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge, that word beginning sort of means the primary principles. The fear of the Lord is the ABCs of knowledge. It's the ABCs of wisdom. Now, what do you, when you're growing to kindergarten, you learn your ABCs. My youngest daughter, she's three. She's learning her ABCs right now. She skips LMNOP or blends them all together in a jumble, as you do. But when you learn your ABCs, what is your goal? Is it just to have a bunch of, have, have uh, to know a bunch of letters? No, you're, you're wanting to take those basic principles and build on them and build them together so you can read words, so you can grow in knowledge. Well, the fear of the Lord is like that. It's like the ABCs of every piece of knowledge and wisdom. And when you, do, when you start to use your ABCs, when you start to read, do you jettison your knowledge of the ABCs? Do you just go, well, I don't need, I had, I've got the ABCs, now I can read and I don't need them anymore. No, you're constantly using them. But then what happens? Over time, you forget that you're using them. You forget how words are spelled. You don't even look at words and have to sound them out anymore. You just recognize whole words and whole things. And so that is, that's what it's like to grow in wisdom, to grow in the knowledge of the Lord and in the wisdom that He wants us to grow in. It's like learning to read. But the fear of the Lord is that ABCs. That's the basic principles that we need to have in place before we can start to rightly grow or we're not doing it according to God's design. It's like trying to learn to read in a language without starting by learning the alphabet. I can throw you my Hebrew Bible and say, here, go read. Good luck with that. You're gonna, you're gonna need like a grammar. You're gonna, need, you're gonna need some helps. You're gonna need somebody to teach you the alphabet. You're gonna need somebody to teach you how the sounds go together and then what those sounds mean when they're, when they're together. And there's this whole series of things you have to learn to learn a language. And the language of wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord, begins with an emotional reality. And so, one, you can't really access knowledge without the fear of the Lord because everything is what it is in relation to Him before it is what it is in relationship to anything else. Though in apologetics classes, they talk about it like this, they go, you know, to a non-Christian, when a non-Christian says two plus two is four, is he saying something true? Yes, but it's not as true as when you as a Christian say two plus two is four, because you have a deeper understanding of two plus two equals four than any non-Christian can. Because why does two plus two equal four? Because God designed reality that way. <laughs> because two and two and four and numbers and logic and math all have a relationship to Him before it has a relationship to us. 
And we know that. And so we can look at math and see the beautiful mind of, behind the universe. And then, and then use mathematics or engineering or whatever it is we do for His purposes. And a non-Christian can't do that. They cannot fulfill the very purpose for which math was made, and therefore they don't know math the way that you can know math. You, as a me, as a person who is bad at math. Two plus two equals four is about as far as I go. Uh, that's why I went to seminary. Um, the, but my knowledge of two plus two equals four, in a certain sense, makes me more knowledgeable about math than a non-Christian mathematician. Because I know the God that the math is pointing to. I know the God who I fear Him, and I fear His brilliance because I am stumped and baffled by math, and I can sit there and worship Him because of the mystery of it all and go, He understands all of this. So I'll let it say, we need that as the ABCs, we need that as a foundation, or we won't be able to access knowledge at all. Rightly, know things in a sense as as they are related to God. Second, Paul says we'll become puffed up. 1 Corinthians 8.1, he says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Knowledge separated from a loving relationship with the God whom you fear, whom you stand. He said in the same book later on, he says, that may the love of God be perfected in the fear of Him. That relationship with the, with it, we have this emotional relationship with Him, keeps us from being puffed up. Now, why could that be? How does that work? If I just have this piece of knowledge, what do I want to do with it? I can, I can begin to think that I'm mastering this. I can, I can, if I were a mathematician, let's stick with that metaphor. It's a pipe dream, but I could at some point think that I have mastered mathematics. Now, even if I know mathematics as it relates to God, I can never master it. I can never know it the way that God knows it. I can never know anything the way that God knows it. I, I, can, I can pick up a blade of grass and look at it under a microscope and analyze it and know everything in the world about chlorophyll and cells and all the things in it and how it functions and it absorbs the sun. And I can be a biologist who, ex, who, who gets a PhD in grass. <laughs> and I still will not know a single blade of grass the way that the God who made it knows it. He knows it as creator. He knows it as the one who lovingly calls grass into being for his purposes. So that kind of knowledge, knowing that I cannot exhaust, knowing that my knowledge, when I start to compare it to God's knowledge, when I start to compare it to his control, when I start to compare it to him, I go, I start to feel really small, gloriously small. Right? It's like when you stand at the edge of, a, of the Grand Canyon. You feel small. You feel insignificant. 
But does that insignificance make you feel bad? Does that smallness make you feel bad? Sometimes it can make you feel terrified. But when you know the God who carves this canyon like with his finger, (laughs) and you go, he cares for me, then the trembling and the fear of him leads to worship and the mystery that lies at the edge of knowledge drives you to worship instead of drives you to pride, drives you to your knees. And that uh, one of the, there's uh, Herman Bavink, I think it was Herman Bavink, don't quote me on that, said that mystery is the lifeblood of theology. Mystery is the lifeblood of theology. You lose all, when you, when you think that you can come to this book and solve all the mysteries in this book, you have, you have begun to look at this book as if it is a wardrobe full of things that you can master, full of things that you can understand. It's this little contained box and this book is not a little contained box. It is, it, it, it is a, it's, it, it, it's inconspicuous. It is like a wardrobe. It is like a, like, a, like a closet. But through this book, if you really know the God of this book, then this simple book becomes a portal to Narnia. It becomes the way you access another world a world that is vastly beyond our own, that, is, that, is, that, that goes on for infinity, a world of knowledge about God that can never be exhausted. So it humbles us. The fear of the Lord humbles us, keeps us from being puffed up in pride when we gain knowledge, when we get smarter, when we learn things. And third, if you don't have the fear of the Lord... The knowledge that you gain about God, so primary knowledge, we want to learn about God. It's knowledge about anything, but when you know God, when you fear the Lord, all knowledge becomes knowledge about God because you're learning about all the different things that He's made. So, but primarily we're driving at knowledge from knowledge of God, and if we don't start with the fear of the Lord, then our knowledge will not have its right end. It won't lead us to obedience. You see, we're supposed to, we think about God. We think about who He is and what He's done. We engage our thinking capacity and we love Him with our brain, with our mind. And we do that until we start, until the marvel of who He is begins to really land on us and you start to feel the fear. You start to feel the emotion, you start to have the emotional reaction to who He is. And then that is meant to motivate and drive you towards right action. And if you short-circuit that process and start with, I just need to know stuff about God, then you won't have the motivation to obey God. You won't, have the, you won't experience the power that you need to actually start living the life that God has designed for you to live. So that's the first point, the primacy of our emotional experience. It is what our thinking is driving at and our actions flow from it. Now, that that doesn't mean, I don't want you to take that away as going like, 
If I don't feel like obeying, can I just not obey? <laughs> it's, it's better to obey even when you don't feel like it and worry about the feelings later. And that is loving God with your actions. You don't, you don't have to feel bad because you did. Jesus tells a parable. He says, guy's got two sons. Says to the one son, go out and work in the field. Son says, got it, pop. See you later. Takes off. And he goes, uh, I'm going to go see what my buddies are up to. And he takes off. He told his dad, yes, I'm going to go in the field. He really appeared like he really wanted to. He had the emotional motivation to really go out and to do the work. At least appeared so. But then he, he goes out and hangs out with his buddies. Second son, uh, the dad says to him, hey, can you go out and work in the field? And he says, no way. I hate you. I'm not doing that. And he goes out. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, I'm not, I'm not working for you. A bit of hyperbole. It's in the Greek. Um, not really. Uh, so he, he goes out. At first he says, no, I'm not going to do it. But then he goes out and thinks better of it. And he goes, he starts to think, you know, hey, my dad really does care about me. He does really love me. And, you know, this is my land after all. You know, I really ought to uh, take care of it. You know, it's my inheritance. And so he goes and he goes and he gets to work and he starts working. And the, emotionals, the emotions follow the actions. But, and then Jesus asked the question, which son did what his father asked? <laughs> one, of them one of them acted like he wanted to, but didn't do it. And the other one acted like he didn't want to, but ended up doing it. It's the one who didn't want to that ended up doing it. And so even if you don't feel like doing, feel like obeying, it's good to obey anyway, to just do it because it's your duty and you know that God loves you and you want to act in a loving way towards him. But the ideal is still, is still to be able to uh, cultivate this emotional connection to God and this emotional motivation for our actions. So I wanna talk for just one minute about what I actually mean by wisdom and knowledge, and then a little bit about cultivating that fear so that we can be motivated to grow and obey God the obedience piece kind of brings into this like what does it mean to what is what does wisdom mean what does it mean to have wisdom well what am i it's i wrote this definition this morning wisdom is the spirit given ability to discern the limits and potential of a given raw material and it's the skill to shape those raw materials into something beautiful that communicates truth about God and connects people to God. So it's the ability, it's, it's a spirit-given ability to see raw materials and craft them into something beautiful and, con and something that connects people to God. Now, where do I get that definition? It's two guys. We talked about the tabernacle a little bit last week, right? Fear the Lord. They're at the. They're at the. Um, they're at Sinai. They're at the mountain. They get down, and the Lord atones for their sin, forgives their sin, and He says, "All right, it's time to get to work on the tabernacle. Time to build this portable Eden, this this Garden of Eden in your midst, where I can dwell in the midst of you." And He says, "I got two guys, Betzalel and Oholiab, or Aholiab, if you really want to sound more Hebrew." Um, he says, I've got these two guys. It's Deuteronomy, or not Deuteronomy, it's Exodus chapter 31. I'll read it. 
says this, chapter 31, 1 through, I think, 6. Yahweh said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God. And what does that being filled with the Spirit of God create? With ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship. Now that word craftsmanship is the same word for wisdom. <laughs> craftsmanship with all wisdom. To devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiav, the son of Ahimasach, Ahisamach. Sometime, yeah. Of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. Wisdom is the ability to shape the world into something beautiful. What do we see? What's the first thing we see the Spirit doing in the beginning? It's, the, it's from the Spirit. The Spirit gives this ability. The Spirit gives wisdom. He manifests the presence of God to us so that we are in the fear of Him. We have a sense of His presence. That's what the Spirit does. It makes us tremble. And so He's giving us wisdom. What's the first thing we see the Spirit doing in Genesis chapter 1? Hovering over the waters. And the word that for hovering is, a, is the word for a mother bird brooding over its nest. Calling. What is, what is a mother bird when they're brooding over their nest? There, there's life here. There's the potential for life right there. If the mother bird stays on those eggs, if she cares for them, if she hovers over them, the potential for life will hatch into new life. And so the Spirit is he's, he's brooding over a chaotic sea so that He can take the chaos and bring life out of it and bring beauty out of it and create these raw materials that then when God creates humanity, He says, all right, I want you to partner with me and I want you to do the thing I've been doing. I want you to take this world that I've given you and beautify it. I want you to take this world that I've given you and I want you to pull the raw materials out of the earth, this gold, silver, precious stones, all these things. I want you to pull them out and I want you to craft them and shape this world so that it more accurately represents my glory. And people can't look anywhere without seeing my glory, my glory out throughout this world. I want you to fill the earth with the knowledge of my glory by beautifying this creation. And wisdom is the thing that we need to be able to do that. We need God's wisdom to be able to do that. And he gives this wisdom to Bezalel and Holiab, and they craft, what do they do? They craft a new Eden. That's what the tabernacle is. It's Eden in their midst. It's covered in pomegranates and trees. There are two cherubim, they're angels that guard the, pre the way into the presence of God. It's a, it's a reconstruction of Eden. And God gives these craftsmen the ability to do that. So 
what's your mission in life? What are you supposed to be about? You are supposed to be about turning this world into Eden. That's the, that's the work of the kingdom of God, is, is spreading Eden to the ends of the earth, spreading the Eden blessing. Now, we're restored to that blessing through Christ, and so we're actually able to do that. But we do that. We need the wisdom to be able to do that. So, two, knowledge. That's wisdom. It's the ability to shape the world. But to do that, knowledge comes sort of before wisdom. Wisdom is, knowledge is this thing. Knowledge can mean knowing about something, knowing about. I know a lot about my wife. Why? <laughs> Why would I bother knowing anything about her? Why would I learn new things about her? Why would I seek to have knowledge about my wife? It's just intellectual stuff, knowing her birthday, remembering the anniversary, knowing, you know, what kind of food she likes, what kind of what she what she likes to drink, what she likes to eat, knowing these things about her. Is it just an end in itself? No, I'm driving at something. I love her and I want to know her more intimately. I want to have an emotional, a deep, intimate connection with her. And that is what this word knowledge is really driving at. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's, it's not just knowledge about God, it's knowledge of God. It's knowing God intimately in a way that can seem uncomfortable. The same idea is in Genesis chapter 4. The first time we see this phrase, and it's one that pops up over and over again, Adam knew his wife. And what happened? She got pregnant and had a son. <laughs> and that idea of the intimacy of the knowledge between a woman and uh, a man and wife is what the Bible picks up on and says, that kind, that level of intimacy, that's just a pale shadow compared to the intimacy that God wants to have with you. And if that knowledge creates life, right? Where do children come from? Where does everybody in this room come from? You come from that knowledge. You can't, you, your mother knew your father. They, were, they had an intimate knowledge of each other. We're, we're all adults here. And that created new life, right? Then what happens? If knowledge, if, if knowledge between two people creates a new life, what does knowledge of God create? Jesus said it this way, to know, this is eternal life, to know me, to know the Father and Jesus Christ that he has sent. You know the Father, that's, that's not just a temporary life, that's eternal life. That is the, that's what I want to bring to bear in you, in you, the life of the age to come. So that's wisdom, that's knowledge. How do we cultivate this? How do we, emotions we've talked about all along, you don't have direct access to them. That's the trouble with emotions. They're down here. You, you can't, you, if you're feeling anxious, if you're feeling afraid, you can't just go, stop and afraid. <laughs> you know, you can't just tell yourself to stop. If you're, if you're feeling something, you can't just make yourself stop feeling it. You don't have direct access to your emotions. 
You have access through your thoughts. You have access through what you set your mind on. And so we cultivate the fear of the Lord by meditating on the Lord, by thinking about who He is, thinking about what He's done, and turning to Him and praying to Him about it. In chapter 2 of Proverbs, it says this, My son, we said, if you receive my words, so I've got uh, how many things? Four things from this passage that we do to cultivate the fear of the Lord. One, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, make your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. All of these things, he's going to list a bunch of things, and he's going to say this is going to result in the fear of the Lord and wisdom. So the first thing is we incline our ear to God's Word. We listen. We listen to what God has to say to us about Himself. Second, we don't just listen to God's Word for wisdom. Verse 3 says, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. We don't just we don't just think about God and expect that to hit us in the heart and emotionally affect us. We call out for it. We, it's, it's okay. You have my permission. You have the Bible's permission to seek an emotional experience with God. Don't be ashamed to do that. Don't be ashamed to seek. That's a good thing to seek. One thing I have asked, and I would seek from the Lord to see your beauty, to dwell in the place where your glory dwells, to inquire in your temple. That's an emotional. What David is seeking there is an emotion, to be overwhelmed with emotion for you. That's the one thing he seeks after. But we got to call out for it because you can't produce it. Only God can give it. So you have to call out for it, and you have to really want it. Look at the, the verse 4. If you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, you call out for it, and you seek it. You dig for it. You mine for it. You go down. When, uh, um, when I leave for work in the morning, I go and I tell, my, I tell my daughters and my wife, I say, all right, I'm going to the mines. I'm going to do some mining. I want to put on my resume that I'm a miner because I consider my job, a large part of my job is mining God's Word, digging deep down into it for the knowledge of God, seeking it like silver and treasure. I feel like Indiana Jones a little bit, going around looking for treasure. So you got to seek it. You got to want it. You got to be disciplined. When you seek silver and gold, you don't find it right on the surface, do you? You don't, you don't go with a pickaxe and just go, ding, ding, ding. Oh, look, there's the gold. You know, you dig a hole into the earth. You go down into the dark, and you don't know when you're going to come out. You don't know if things are going to collapse on you. It's terrifying to seek silver and gold. And, and it feels like you're in darkness for long periods of time. But, you, but to find the treasure of the knowledge of God and the fear of Him, you have to be disciplined to keep digging even when you think there's nothing down here because we have been guaranteed there are treasures here. Because, verse 6, for the Lord gives wisdom from His mouth, or then you, verse 5, then you will understand the fear of the Lord 
and find the knowledge of God. And why will you understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God? For Yahweh gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's got that, you know it's down there. He's promised you, he said, it's down here. Just keep digging. I've stored it up for you. And I want to give it to you, but I'm going to give it to you when you seek me with all your heart. And so we have to recognize and patiently wait knowing that God controls the disclosure of himself. He's, in, he's the one who decides how much of himself that you're going to know at any given time. And if he wants you to dig for a little while longer in the dark, you keep digging. It's a dark season. You're not having any emotional connection to God. You're not excited about things. He's the, just keep digging. Don't give up. And he will reveal himself. He will make himself known because he wants to know you and make himself known to you more than you want to know him. So that is those four practical things. Meditate on God's word. Pray for it. Be disciplined about it. And be patient for God to give it. So I'm going to stop there because the bell's going to ring in a minute. And I did want to leave some time for some questions. Let me pray, and then we'll do Then, If anybody's got any questions, service doesn't start for a little bit. <laughs> Father, thank you uh, for your word and this time. I pray that you would make us wise, that you would. Uh, we're calling out for wisdom. We know that you give wisdom, that you've stored it up, and I ask that you would uh, make, yourselves, make yourself known to our hearts so that we might live in the fear of you and grow in knowledge and wisdom and connection to you. I pray through Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you, together with the Holy Spirit, one God, forever praised. Amen. Amen. Amen.